0: And I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe?
1: Let me pray. I pray, Holy Spirit, for you to open our minds and our hearts as to what you have for us this morning. Thank you. We're humbled that you would choose us to serve your kingdom here in Oakland. In Jesus' name, amen. When reading this section in chapter 16, uh, some may find it confusing, some may find it disturbing, some just don't know what to do with this. And this parable can be Puzzling, especially given uh, the many interpretations that are out there for it. So, how so important it is for us to persistently seek the Holy Spirit's leading while wisely engaging our minds to the entirety of Scripture in order to understand what Jesus is teaching us. Because if you're just reading this by itself, and you're taking it out of context, you're not taking into consideration what Luke wrote before and what Luke writes after, this could be really confusing. So we have to go back a chapter, okay? We, we, we wrapped up chapter 15 in the last couple of weeks where Jesus taught us three parables, right? The, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost sons. And so we need to keep that in mind and keep that in context and not think that this is a separate story to be interpreted independently from what preceded the story. And we also have to take into consideration what comes after the story. So here we go, verse 1, chapter 16. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. The rich man wasn't the one to charge the manager, if you notice that. Charges were brought against him from elsewhere. He had this accuser, or he had these accusers. That brought these charges and informed the rich man that the manager was wasting his possessions. Now keep in mind that we had just finished the prodigal son story. And try to think in your head how there are some similarities. Notice the similarities between the two stories. Between the younger son squandering his father's possessions. Right? Luke chapter 15 verse 13. And this manager who is wasting the rich man's possessions. Now, both of them squandering, both of them wasting, and actually in the Greek it's the same exact word, and a difference is that the younger son in the prodigal son's story squandered the wealth in reckless living, in, in sinful living. Now, this manager, there's no sign of sinful behavior from the manager. Right? I, I don't think we can draw that conclusion based off of, of what we're reading here, but I think what we can say is that the manager was careless, he was negligent, he was foolish in how he was managing his boss's possessions, but I can't see that he's sinning. Now, for any of you who have experienced being terminated from employment or people working for you, and you've had to let them go, actually, all of us know this. Um, Actually, everyone has experienced someone working for you. Because if you're at this church, I'm working for you, right? You're my boss. So anyone on staff here is working for you. So everyone has had this experience. But there's a risk in hiring someone to serve you. There's a risk in hiring people at the church, in in hiring me. Not everyone is responsible Not everyone is mature. Not everyone is dependable in their ministry. So maybe this manager was unreliable in doing his job in a a timely and consistent manner. So someone reported him for wasting resources. So he got called on his poor job performance. Verse 2, And he called him and he said to him, What is that that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. So turn in what you've been doing, your employment here terminated, you're done here. Any of us who have been terminated from employment, we can probably empathize with this guy, All right? He, he had a good job, and now what? Verse 3 and 4, And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do. So that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So he came up with this plan to come out ahead, and he comes out with this last-ditch effort to get what he could before his employment officially ended by putting himself in a position to collect some money for himself. Verses 5 and 6. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, "'How much do you owe my master?' He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Now keep in mind that not all of this money went to the manager. Some of it went to him. Some of it goes to his boss. He's just trying to to get all that he can before he's out of work. So imagine how happy the debtors are to hear this news, right? 50% off. Who doesn't like 50% off? I love 50% off. Verse 7, Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write 80. Who doesn't like 20% off? I love 20% off too. They're both good things. Keep this in mind. The debtor, how happy, how elated that someone would sit down and have this dealing going on here. I just bought tires for my wife's car. And so when I shop. Price is the most important thing to me. You know, that you take those surveys and they say customer service and ambiance and all these other stuff. I don't care. Price. That's all I care. You could treat me terrible. It could look ugly. Just give me a good price. I don't care. That's the Chinese in me. So I shopped all over the Bay Area. I, I shopped over 20 tire places, literally. Thank goodness for technology I could just call not drive there, right? So the cheapest place I found for the tires I wanted... Costco. And on top of having the lowest price, they had the $70 off coupon. I love deals. I love them. So you imagine how happy these debtors are. They're they're happy. 50% off, 20% off? This is awesome. Now let's not think that this manager was swindling his boss, because that's not what he's doing. Right. In in order to understand what's going on in this story, we have to take into consideration the, the business customs of the time, the business practices of the time. Back in this time, it was a normal business practice to change the bill. Whether it was because of changes in currency or economics or politics or production, whatever it was, it was normal to change the amount of a bill. So it's not that much different from today in how people refinance their loans, Right? Because interest rates change. So you go back and you try to refinance it. And so we work out a new deal. Whether it's mortgages or car loans or student loans or credit card. We work out new deals. So it's similar. This is what this guy is doing. He's working out new deals for these people. So a business owner like one this manager worked for, he delegated the tasks like this to his managerial staff. You know, hey, you take care of this part of the business. You take care of the collecting of what is owed to me. And this was something they were charged to do. So a common business practice... Especially in difficult times, in order to help the community, was by changing the bill so you can accommodate everyone's livelihood. You know, the, the production of the wheat was less, the, the production of the oil was less. And so it's a bad year for olives or it's a bad year for wheat uh, because of drought or because of whatever reason. Well, the managers had the authority to work things out with the buyers so that everyone could stay in business and everyone could survive. Right, so let's work a deal. It wouldn't make the rich owner guy out with nothing. Like to get something is better than nothing. So, so let's let's make this deal here. It's better for him to sell these goods at a, at a discount and still make something for his master than nothing. This manager is using this kind of same principle, and he's applying it to this particular case. But then he got caught, and it wasn't really for the betterment of the master or the betterment of... He was just trying to cover his hide, right? He's trying to save himself, trying to get some money, trying to get in good with these debtors so that he could be invited into their house and stuff like that. And so what happened? Verse 8, The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Like what? He commended him? The master commended the dishonest manager. For what? For what? shrewdness you would think that the master would be furious what are you doing I terminated employment with you you're done with me and you're cutting these deals with people i'm getting less you're making me get less get out of here right don't even bother wrapping up your business stuff just get out of here The, the, the master notices something the master commended him and i found that like people like each other Right, Creative people tend to like other creative people. Artistic people tend to like other artistic people. Business-minded people tend to like business-minded people. And so business-minded people who like other business-minded people, even when one of them gets the shorter end of the stick, still says, like, that's, that's a good one. Yeah, that, was, that was good. You're entrepreneurial. Like, yeah, I'm getting less, but you, you, you did good. And they just recognize that. It's kind of like on the basketball court. You know, you're two good basketball players and someone just lays a good shot and you're just like, oh man, that was was a nice shot. And you just kind of recognize, you kind of recognize the talent. You recognize the likeness in there. So um, it's, it's kind of like that when you look at the relationship with Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, right? You know, the late Steve Jobs and him, they had a very contentious relationship at times, and, and they eventually worked things out, and they understood each other, and they eventually ironed things out. But they understood that that is a savvy business mind, that is a savvy technological mind, and they recognize that about each other. This manager has some really, really good business acumen. Otherwise, he would not be rich. And yet, that guy wasn't completely honest, but the master appreciated his effort and his business savvy in the midst of dealing with his own tough circumstances, namely losing his job. And you notice that the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, not for being dishonest, it was for his shrewdness. He wasn't commended for his ethics or his morality, he was commended for his shrewdness, for for being good at judging the current circumstances that he was dealing with. The manager was clever. Clever in his business dealings to to change the old bills and come up with new bills for, for the master's debtors. The master would need to honor those new bills. He couldn't say, like, oh, I didn't write that. That was still his employee who was still charged to do that part of the job. He would have to honor these new bills. And it was within the manager's job to do this. He wasn't doing anything illegal. It was dishonest but it was not illegal. And the master recognized, man, that guy, he's clever. That manager is clever. He's dishonest, but he's crafty. And so the master thought in his head, this is linsanity. That was a pretty incredible move. That boy has linsational skills. He can ball. He's a linner. Simply linspirational. I'm Linfatuated. And he's thinking, I can't let that guy go. I can't let him go. I don't want to make the same mistake that Dallas and Golden State and Houston made. I don't want to make that mistake. That would be linsane. So he's so clever and he's crafter. He's he's an asset to my business. He wasn't commending him for his dishonesty. But he was commending the, the resourcefulness, the shrewdness. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Jesus is into shrewdness. He's into having linsight. You know, lintelligence. Lintuition. Linstinct. intellect. It's such a great name. I love Jeremy Lin. Back to shrewdness. Back to Shrewdness. He became my favorite basketball player two weeks ago, Um, and I'm a hardcore Laker fan. I'm I'm thinking of joining the Knicks. But back to shrewdness. What Jesus thinks about? He wants us to be wise. Jesus wants us to be shrewd. He wants us to be wise. He said back in Matthew chapter 10 verse 16, "Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves." He's not saying that serpents aren't dishonest. He says just be as wise as they are. Don't be foolish. Be wise, be shrewd. And if we enter into dishonesty or anything not representative of Jesus, we're to be as innocent as doves. Wise as serpents, innocent as doves. So, so, you know, that dishonest stuff, you know, come on. Be honest, be innocent. And this manager was wise as a serpent, but he wasn't innocent as a dove. So what does Jesus say to further address shrewdness? latter part of verse 8, "...for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light." The people of this world are pros at getting the upper hand for themselves without ethics or morality or conscience interfering in their lives as much as people of the light do. People of the light live for God, while people of the world, they are living for themselves." People of the light aim to be selfless and to serve God. People of the world are selfish and serve themselves, generally speaking. How do we move from people of this world to people of the light? So Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The people of this world are born into sin. We are born into sin and we are living in darkness. That is just what we inherently have. We are born into darkness. We are born with sin. And in order to come out of darkness, in order to be set free from the chains of sin, we need Jesus. Jesus. Jesus who leads us from this darkness into being children of the light, making available for us a transformed life free from the bondage of sin. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-10. through 10. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, and He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. We need to understand who Jesus is and know why He came for us. He came to die for us, to set us free from our sin, to set sinners free from their sins, to lead us into walking in the light. But we won't recognize a need for Jesus if we don't recognize our sin. If you do not recognize your sin or recognize that you are a sinner, you do not have a reason to cry out to God for forgiveness and mercy if you don't know that you're in darkness. It's only when someone sees their sin and they recognize their need for Jesus. Yes, we live in this world, but not of it, right? And so if you can live in darkness your whole life and you've never experienced light before, you just don't know that it's even out there. That's so why you're kind of comfortable just kind of continuing on in there. John wrote to us in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. Maybe there are some of you who have never come to trust in Jesus. And it is God who is calling you a child of the world of darkness, it's it's not me. I'm not I'm not calling you names. You're a child of the world. You're this is God from his word saying, "You're a child of the darkness right now. You're a child of the world without me." Because we are either people of the world or people of the light. Which one are you this morning? And my hope is that you don't leave here without becoming a person of the light. It is not a coincidence that you are here. Something that the sons of this world have is that they are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. How is this so? Well, you look at how people of the world reach out into the world for their cause. They're good at it. And how people of the light reach the world for Jesus. I don't know. The world, sinful people, tend to be more inventive, clever, Resourceful, imaginative, original, creative, skillful in their methodologies, their strategies, their application, and the execution of their cause. How do you know that? How do you, what, what, does, what do Christians do? They're just following wherever they are going. Oh, that's the new VED. Let let me create something for that. Oh, they're into that music. I'm going to create that music out of this. They're into those kind of shirts. Oh, I'm going to create those kind of shirts. And Christianity seems to always be following the people of the world and what they're doing and how they're marketing and their strategies and all this kind of stuff. I mean, isn't that true? We always seem to be behind the curve. We're not the ones like in the past in art. Like Renaissance art, for instance, look at a lot of that. A lot of that is inspired by Christians. And you look at the world today, are the arts inspired by Christians? It's not so anymore. And so you look at the world, the world of sports. What has it done for Tiger Woods? Tiger Woods is a household name. Everyone knows, if you look at the world of politics, Obama is a household name in the world. What the business world has done for Steve Jobs. Everybody knows Steve Jobs. Everybody knows Apple products. I did a bunch of searches on Google to see who the most well-known person ever was. And and I got a bunch of different answers. There wasn't like, this is the official list of the most famous people to ever live. There was no list like that. It's just people's opinions and stuff, right? But the the thing that just puzzled me, I was so puzzled because on, on all of these lists, not on any of these lists is Bruce Lee mentioned. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Everyone knows Bruce. Everyone knows Bruce. And I, I, I've been in a lot of places in the world, almost all the continents except two. I've been in the, the jungles of Ecuador. People don't have electricity, nothing. The deep jungle. I've been in the jungles of Thailand. And deep in there, remote villages right there, remote villages in Russia, way up there, no, no darkness. It's like 11 p.m., I'm like, oh, this is really far north. And the bush in Kenya, I work with the Pakot tribe in, in Kenya. All of them, when they find out my last name is Lee, they do this. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> All of them. The Pocoot, the, the, the tribe, the the Indian, the Indians in Ecuador, the Indians are all over the place. Everywhere. Jungles of Thailand, they all do, oh, they all do that. Bruce is on that list. I'm just saying. What has the church done for Jesus? What has the church done for Jesus? And, I, and I'm not trying to make some sociological declaration because this was first said by Jesus. Jesus said this, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealings with their own generation than the sons of light. They got something. The world understands themselves. The world understands what they need to hear. And we as Christians, we're just kind of like behind. We're not the ones on the front line saying like, you know what? This is how we reach the world. This is how we're going to do it. And not much has changed because the words of God are true. It's still true today. Today. Business executives get together and they devise a plan to reach the world with their product or with their service much more than the churches gather around to devise a plan to reach the world for the gospel. Right, you, you, you can bet your life savings that the Apple executives that they get together and they pass on what they want to their leadership and what they want them to know and what they want them to do. And they will dedicate their lives to make sure their products are, are successful, their services are successful, that, that the leadership that is around them. They ensure that everyone under them knows what they need to do and, and how they need to do it and work their life away, training everyone under that banner to carry out that mission. Everyone knows. But the average Christian doesn't even study the Bible as much as the average college student studies for their major of study. I'm willing to bet a lot of money that the average Christian knows more about their field of study than they do about the Bible. If you have a college degree, you probably know more about your field of study than you do about the Bible. To do what you do as your career, as your job, how many hours of study were needed to get to where you're at? The licenses that you needed, the certificates that you needed, the diplomas, the degrees, all that kind of stuff, all the effort and the resources to get what you got, to know what you know. Yet how many Christians haven't even read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation? I'm surprised when I ask people, have you read the whole Bible from Genesis? No. The vast majority of people I've met, the vast majority of Christians, have not even done that. And yet this is God's Word to us. If you've been Christian for less than a year, I understand. I'm not holding you to this. But if you've been a Christian for over a year, it is reasonable for you to have read the entire Bible. Isn't it? If you're a disciple of God, and if you need help with this, I'm willing to help you. I'm willing to help you. We can read the Bible together like I'm already do, already doing with some folks here. If you have been a Christian for less than a year, and you want to read the Bible together with a group of people, including myself, we'll get together, and, and once a week or once every other week, those... People just come together and they just throw out questions to me. And they ask me questions about what they're reading and all this kind of stuff. Right now we're in Numbers. Fun book. Or if you've been a Christian for over a year, we have an intern schedule. The interns outline the Bible from Genesis to Revelation during their internship. They outline it. Not just read it. They outline And you can just, we'll give you their schedule. Here's their schedule. And go for it. But it's really important for us to be biblically literate. Just like you guys are for your fields of study. You would not be working where you're working if you didn't know your stuff. So to know our Bibles really well, why do people not know their Bible? I mean, it's it's there for us. All the resources to understand it are around us. I think the lack of effort is because there's a lack of application. Entrepreneurs get together to come up with a business plan because their application is to grow market share. Coaches get together to come up with strategies because their application is, we want to win that game. And they go through ideas and they implement them and they test them, right? They have have test groups or, or, or they practice. They practice it on the field before they take those strategies that they're coming up with to the market, or on game day. They, they go through all this stuff. Not a lot of time and effort and resources are wasted for successful companies or successful teams. Do you notice that? Yet how much time and effort and resources does the church waste on stuff? Whatever that is. Not on outreach or to complete the mission, but hey, let's make a more comfortable club for ourselves. Let's do some remodeling and make some things nicer for ourselves. And They aren't doing that. They don't waste their time doing that. What is mission critical? And let's go do that. Their time, their effort, their resources are of the essence because there are competitors out there who are working against them. Practices have to count. The tests have to count. How much more does it count for us as children of the light to get the gospel out to the world, to train people to do that, to disciple people into being like Jesus, to help move from people in the world to people of the light. Think about this. If the average business took as much time and resources to get as little return as the average local church does in a year, Wouldn't it deserve to go under? Wouldn't that business deserve to go under? Pastor Albert, you're just thinking like a businessman. This is a church. It's a ministry. You you, you can't think like a business. Baloney. What are you talking about? You don't know how many times I've heard that. Oh, you know, you're, you're you're conducting this like a business. You're acting like this is a business and all this kind of stuff. Churches shouldn't do that. Churches, churches are churches. What does that mean? That's baloney. What do you mean churches are? This is a ministry. Is not. A, what does that even mean? I'm being shrewd. We're being shrewd. There are difficult decisions that I've made as a pastor over the years. There are. Difficult decisions that the elders have made leading this church. We're being shrewd. You're being business. Business. Whatever. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. We're being shrewd. Every week we have new visitors coming in the morning and the evening service. Every week. There hasn't been a week where I just, I don't recognize somebody. Every week we have someone coming in new. And I haven't taken an official count for this, but I'm, I'm just guessing. And to make the numbers easier to work with, I'll just say we have 20 new visitors every Sunday. Between the morning service and the evening service. Which I don't think is that far from the actual number, give or take five. So, 80 new visitors a month. Average. And I've officially been the lead pastor of Regeneration for 23 months. So that's 1,840 visitors for the past 23 months. And if we take the history of Regeneration and we extrapolate that number, oh, you're being businessy, shrewd. That's over 10,000 new visitors. Is this coming in your head? In business terms. New customers. If we were a business that had a product or a service to sell and we brought in over 10,000 people over the years, but the majority aren't here, wouldn't there be a serious concern of our business? Wouldn't we be seriously concerned about what is going on? What's going on here? Don't we need to get together, figure out what's wrong? It's a church. This is not a business, Pastor Albert. We don't have any product or services to sell. Believe me, I understand that. I understand that. I came from the business world. I'm the one who had disagreements in in staff meetings about putting our church in Yelp, because I didn't want us to get anywhere near to being a consumer minded church. You know, and if you happen to put something on there, hey, that that was your prerogative. but but I wasn't going to sanction the regent staff or the elders to write about themselves and how great they are or how great we are. So I'm not going to go that far. The issue we deal with here is way more significant. We deal with eternal issues. So how much more shrewd are we to be than the world that deals with their temporary issues? A new business venture starts out, and people are willing to sacrifice a lot to, to, to make it happen. They don't care how many hours it takes. They invest a lot of their own resources. They, they go through legal, tax, political difficulties, and they, they meet people, they study, and they read like mad going through information to make them more successful at what they do. And they know that if they do certain things toward making them successful, they can hit their goal eventually. They are shrewd. They know, I only have this much resource. I can't waste it. I only have this many hours. I can't waste it. I have these relationships. I can't risk losing those. I have to invest in those. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Is the church doing that? Do we look at it and say, like, we can't lose a single one of those 10,000. We can't let those things go. We have to figure this out. People in the world are more shrewd than people in the light. Look at Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's. Talk about customer service. You walk in and they smile at you. I've never been in a Trader Joe's where they look at you like, welcome. Here's the, here's the flyer of our stuff. We don't give out coupons, though, because we already have the lowest prices. And So shop. They don't do that. It's a smile. They give out stickers to my kids and, and all of this kind of stuff. I mean, they're, they're, they're awesome. You ask where something is? They don't say, like, oh, the third aisle. They take you there. You notice that? You go to, like, unnamed store. and four. Aisle four aisle two, and it's not even the right aisle sometimes, they will take you there, they'll, oh, come here point you to it, and if it's not there, let me go check in the back that's Trader Joe's, I love Trader Joe's they need to pay me for these endorsements and if you want to taste something they open it they just open it for you, and then they're out there and they're starting to hand it out all over the store I wanted them to do that with wine, but they wouldn't. And if you ask for their opinion, they're totally honest. Oh, yeah, I don't like how that tastes. I wouldn't buy that one. I'd try this one instead. They're totally honest. They don't say like, oh, yeah, that's a great product. You go home and eat it. Oh, that is sick. They'll tell you if they don't like it. Or they'll tell you, I don't know. And then they'll they'll say like, hey, so-and-so, Jack, does this taste good? Oh, that's awful! Are we that welcoming? Are we that honest? Do we greet people with a smile? Do we answer their questions honestly and walk them to whatever they're looking for or whoever they're looking for? That we take the time and we just invest that moment of time into them. And what shrewd measures can we take to lead people into the light? What can we do? Are are we fine with people just coming and going like, oh, yeah, they're just Great. New people. That's great. See ya. New people will come next week. That's so dumb. That's not shrewd. You're business-minded, Pastor Rob. What do you mean? I don't know what that means. Trader Joe's, sons of this world, has a strategy for reaching into each particular neighborhood. Did you know that? Each captain of Trader Joe's is commissioned to look how to serve their particular neighborhood. So you look at the artwork, and it reflects where they're at. You're not going to see a BART station in Reno, Nevada, Trader Joe's. But you go to the Rockridge one, and there's BART, Rockridge BART. And they cater to the specific things of their community. They get involved in their community. The schools that they donate to, the, the community functions and all that kind of stuff. They're in there. They're, they're giving. They're doing these things. The people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with our generation in matters of their cause than the people of the light in dealing with our generation in the causes of eternity. That's stupid. We're stupid. Verse 9, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Sounds like Jesus is pretty business to me. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth? Jesus, you're so business. Unrighteous wealth. In other words, stuff. Right? Stuff. Material things. The this, this stuff we're to be stewards over. The temporary things of this world. Use that stuff. Use that worldly wealth to make friends for yourselves. So when all that stuff's gone, those in the world will receive you and be welcome to eternal things. Now go back to verse 4. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. Isn't that what the manager was doing? Isn't that what he's doing? He was losing his job, and before he's officially out, he uses the worldly wealth, the oil and the wheat, to gain favor with the master's debtors so that they may receive him into their houses. So Jesus is saying, use the resources that God has given you, not just to be welcomed into people's homes while we're on earth, but to use our earthly resources to build relationships that will carry into eternity. Jesus doesn't say that material possessions and money are sinful things to have. It's our heart and our attitude towards the issues of money and material possessions that are sinful, right? Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Love of money, not money. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. All the stuff that you have, use them in a shrewd way so that you develop relationships to carry into everlasting. Does this sound familiar to anyone? We just covered it not too long ago. Luke chapter 14 verses 13 through 14. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Isn't that what that is? You use your resources to develop relationships and building, and then you can influence them for everlasting, not just for that time. And when we take our resources and we use them to provide for people who can't pay us back, That's the blessing because the people that can pay us back, our reward is already provided for because those folks are able to reciprocate. You treat me to lunch, I treat you to lunch. You throw me a party, I throw you a party. And it's just back and forth. It's just trade. But when we invite folks who can't repay us, God provides for us at the resurrection of the just. Yeah, they won't be able to provide for you right away reciprocating materially, but that relationship you built is going into everlasting. And it's not that we earn God's favor, and it's not that God is ever indebted to us. Let's not think that this is some sort of transaction. Oh, I bless these people, therefore I get this. Because that's not what this is about. It's about our heart towards those who can't return a favor, and being like Jesus, who is generous, and who is gracious, who... Offers us freely salvation. He's given that to us. Who, who people who cannot repay. We cannot repay. And he's given that to Jesus didn't come and say, you know what, believe in me. Just kick back. Believe in me, and then just everything's fine. Just kick back. Jesus' own brother, his biological brother, James, wrote in James chapter 2, verses 17 through 24. So also by faith itself. And the Scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Give to those who can't repay you. Develop relationships with the poor, the crippled, the the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. And if you want a great return on investment, Pour your life into someone who can't repay you. Share the gospel with them. Serve them. Invest into eternity. Not just this temporary business transaction. You give me this and how much do I get in return? Look at everlasting. See, this is the issue that the Pharisees had. The Pharisees weren't interested in people who weren't like them. Right? They were those people. They weren't even interested in their own people. They were so secluded, much less sinners. Those unclean people, forget it. That's not Jesus, though. Jesus. Sinners were attracted to Jesus. Do you know that? Right? He, he was accused to be a, a friend of sinners. Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, Luke chapter 7, verse 34. And as we as followers of Jesus, have we become so insulated from non-Christians that we don't have any relationships with those who don't know Jesus? Have Have we done that? Everything is surrounded the church. Everything is surrounded your campus group or whatever, your family who's all Christian or whatever it may be. If we are followers of Jesus, He was known to be a friend of sinners. How are you doing is it all Christian schools and, and Christian church and Christian this and Christian that and music and everything you're involved in, everything around you is just Christian, Christian, Christian? Are we so self-righteous and arrogant that we're not attracting people that like Jesus attracted? Jesus attracted sinners. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. They don't discriminate if you want to buy an iPad Apple doesn't say no you're too old you're not cool enough or they don't do anything like that you want to buy it 500 bucks they don't care what's the, what's the christian church you want to be a christian oh you need to stop smoking you need to stop drinking you need to stop this you you need to do that you need to... The sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. The people of this world are more ingenious in their evangelism and discipleship of their own dealings. And they do actually use that word evangelism. The business world uses that word evangelism. I don't know if you know that. But to get their message out. That's the same meaning that we have, they have. Same word. And they use that, and they're more savvy at the evangelism and the discipleship than the people of the light are in our evangelism of the gospel and our discipleship to Jesus. Now some of you may be thinking that it's, it's my job to come up with the strategy and the systems and the application and the execution and all that kind of stuff for our church. It's not. It's not. My job description is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. That is my job. My job is not these other things. Strategy and applications and systems and all that. That's not my job. Mine is equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Now there are many of you who have been blessed with those skills. Many of you are blessed with entrepreneurship, salesmanship, creativity, artistic ability, technology, know-how, administration. And you're putting your skills in the marketplace. You have good businesses. You are a good employee. you, You are a successful person in what you do. How about transferring some of those abilities into the kingdom, for the kingdom? and and not just your career or your personal life or your hobby but you're bringing your know-how whatever you are good at you bring that shrewdness here and you develop ministries to serve our community to serve the kingdom whatever that is that you have and you bring it to the table let me just close with this Matthew chapter 25 verses 31 through 46 We need to get busy in reaching out to the people out there. The sinners, the people on the fringes, the, the, those folks. We need to get busy in bringing what you're bringing to the marketplace and your talents and your abilities that you're bringing out there. We need them here. We need your shrewdness here to help the church do things that the world is already better at. We need you here. Please don't think that we got it all together and that region has enough staff and we have enough volunteers and we have enough people doing what... We need you and what you bring to the table in terms of application and strategy and all these different things to reach out to our community for the gospel. We need your giftings. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for telling us what we need to hear. I pray, Lord, that you would knock us off of our religious pedestals. Yes, Lord, we are to have faith for you to provide faith that you will build your church. And at the same time, Lord, you tell us to be shrewd that we are to apply effort into reaching this world for you. That we are your disciples and you are commissioning us to make disciples. And Lord, we ask for your equipping, we ask for your leading. In Jesus' name, Amen.